The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Friday. And if it's Friday, that means we get to spend some quality time with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you doing today, Benny? Doing well, kids. Thanks for having me back. I, you know what? <laughs> this is the professionalism of Benny Mathers because listening to that weather report, oh. I'm thinking he's got a cold and yet he managed not to sound like Elmer Fudd. I don't know. Yeah. I, I do have a cold and thanks for noticing. Yes, you know me that well. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have that wascoey Susan Hobbit on our show today. <laughs> Well, today is a lot of fun for us because when we get together, as I said in the social media, advertising, touting, as it were, the appearance of Susan Harmon, host of the Susan Harmon Experience, right here on AM 1150, I said, when the three of us get together, anything goes. And that's the kind of conversation that Suzanne and myself, of course, love to have with our guests. I think you've got some mad props here for Susan. If you would read those, then we can just jumpstart this conversation and have fun with only one skinny break dividing us from all the information we're about to deliver and delight the crowds, the throngs that tune in with an <laughs> ear cocked to AM 1150 every Friday. Well, we have now been on the air 12 years. This is We're in our 13th year, and Susan Harmon was one of the original sponsors of our show. And we have had her on just enough times that I have four or five introductions for her. And I told her, I'm, I'm going to pick one of my favorites today because this woman has such a diverse background. She is such a Renaissance woman that we will have to find out what's going on with her right now. But let me give her her props in this brief background. Susan Harmon was born in Chicago to an Army counterintelligence officer and an actress. Her great-grandmother was a well-known Dutch psychic, and her grandmother belonged to the Theosophical Society, which brought Yongananda to the United States. Susan lived in occupied Japan as a child, as well as Arkansas in the 50s and San Francisco in the 60s. She's an activist and has been a supporter of human rights throughout her life. She produced a television show called People Making a Difference, wrote Being Your Multidimensional Parallel Self, is the founder of the Emerald Spiral, and so many other things we can't even list them. And we are thrilled to be in the presence of Susan Harmon. So welcome once again to Manson Mitchell, Susan. Hey, you guys, it's like coming home. <laughs> yes, it is. And it was so much fun when we had the very pleasant surprise of your presence in the building a couple of years ago. Suzanne and I made our West Coast swing, and we did the shows live from the studio. And the first time we were there, just around the corner, like Pop Goes the Weasel, here's Susan Harmon, a very slim-down, lovely, a, a lissom Susan Harmon. And I just thought, look at you, kiddo. You're rocking this place. Oh, that's so sweet and so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so delighted that day because we were going to do a show together, but I was supposed to be doing it on Skype. So I, I was in Seattle without you knowing it, and I wanted to surprise you. And Suzanne, like, she looks kind of familiar as I approached you. <laughs> That's how it was. Too. When you when you don't hang around the station week after week because right. we do our show Skype, you begin to wonder who is that person because you haven't right. seen him in years. Well, and I was I, a, a and few I thought dress I know her. Smaller too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few dress sizes smaller. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So you're looking good. You're rocking it. And that bio that I read is one of the originals, and it's one that I happen to like. But you are doing so many things. Pick and choose a few of the things that you're up to these days. And one of them, I understand, is that you will be in Seattle. I will. I am uh, really excited. I'm actually going to be in the studio. Hey, Benny, beware. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be. I'm going to be up there. Uh, I'm going up ostensibly for um, the Northwest Astrology Conference, NORWAC. And uh, so that I'll be broadcasting from uh, Doubletree Suites at NORWAC, talking to astrologers uh, that, uh, let's see, what date is that? Sorry, uh, I think that's the 
24th. Yeah, Friday the 24th, I'll broadcast from um, Norwalk and talk to a variety of astrologers there. So that should be fun. And then the following week, I'm still in Seattle. And I think you guys may know Melinda Rabine. I'm pretty sure Benny knows her. She is an amazing filmmaker, uh, just a, 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 an amazing woman, friend of the show, friend of mine. And her film, uh, a documentary on homelessness, uh, Camp Second Chance, two years ago, she uh, spent a week, they, the homeless said to her, well, if you really want to know about us, come and live with us. And she says, okay. And that was the week it snowed right around Christmas. It was snowing. And she's out there living with these guys uh, in the snow, in the cold, and and doing all this. She is a woman of her word. Her integrity is amazing. So she is going to be in the studio with me on the uh, 31st, which is going to be an absolutely wonderful show, promoting her film, which will be in the Seattle International Film Festival the next day, June the 1st. So I'm really excited about that. But if I may, do you mind if I tell you? I pre-recorded my show for this uh, for today. So oh, okay. as, as our audience stays tuned, you know, listens to you, listens to Christine, and then stays tuned for Susan Harmon, my guest that I pre-recorded the show with is a tarot-dealing private investigator. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, that sounds a interesting. Carol Reader and PI. Yeah, that exactly. Sounds interesting. And we met her under the most interesting circumstances. And her husband uh, is an ex-cop, and she uses the tarot to 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 uh, for the clients. Do we take this client? Don't we? All this, and it has worked out one hundred percent of the time. Huh. I, I love that. that. I have known people who are quite adept at intuiting valuable information, certainly pertinent information, and giving it to the client, the customer, the sitter. Mm -hmm. And they use tarot cards, but what's interesting in the case of two people I can think of, they gave me very relevant and helpful readings, but they were quick to tell me as I sat down that they don't read tarot cards like a technician. They know right. the meanings of the cards, but it actually is used to stir their intuition and to exactly. put them in the kind of space that allows them to open up to what information wants to come through. Exactly. And that's why I don't read tarot, because I'm like trying to figure out the cards instead of just letting it flow. So I just let it flow. You know, because I grew up in a crazy family, a good crazy. I'm not talking about about dysfunction. I always say my family wasn't dysfunctional. It was multifunctional. <laughs> oh, I like that. Do you like that? Yeah, I do. I do. You had such an interesting childhood, and we have talked about that before. But it's it's formed and it's shaped the adult that you are. You know, I've, I've run into a couple of people where, you know, Gary and I will talk and we'll say, what kind of life must they have had to be who they are today? Well, when I look at you who are so involved in social justice, so involved in making things right with people and being helpful, and I, I know more than one person like you who is like devoted to making life better. And then I say to myself, how did they grow up? you know, that they are, are willing to put themselves out like that to, to try and make the world a better place. And you've been involved in movie making and radio and, and all kinds of, of uh, revealing things. You, you've worked with the Native Americans quite a bit. And so when I look at your background and I'm so fascinated by it, it has made you the person you are today. And, and one of my questions is, what what is your hot button today? What what is it that is catching your attention? Da dum da dum Trump. <laughs> um, I really am giving a lot of thought to what is happening to our government, our country, uh, our constitution. Uh, it, it it we we have been moving, and and thank you for everything you said, by the way. Um, but we have been moving in a, a fascist direction for some time before Trump came on the scene, uh, tightening up. The definition of fascism is the combination of corporations and government. That's the simplest definition. 
Uh, so we have this oligarchy going on that nobody wants to, to look at. Um, Donald Trump has always been a con artist. Uh, con, get your confidence and, and, and move forward as best you can with that. He did this uh, as a child. And he, um, you know, you have to look sometimes. I, I'm always telling young women, look to see that, how this guy feels about his mother before you start dating him. You know, Susan, I, I've got to stop you right there. Do you know that that was one of the things that attracted me to Gary? Mm -hmm. Because we had been dating three or four months, and, and then he said he wanted me to meet his mom in Las Vegas. And Gary was so wonderful with his mom. Mm -hmm. he, you know, not, not critical, not fighting, not... You know, enjoying. Being, yes, he enjoyed her company. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, somewhere in my subconscious mind, I said, if this man is kind and loving toward his mother, he That's is going right. to be a kind and loving person mm -hmm. toward women. And uh, and so you're absolutely right about that. The other thing that you said is that, you know, it didn't start with uh, Donald Trump. And I, I always go back to uh, President Eisenhower saying beware of Where? the military-industrial military complex, complex. Right. And, and what is coming our way because mm -hmm. we were really feeling our oats after World War II being the big heroes, but there was this sense that um, both military and industry could somehow get more power. And that appeared, his, what he said was appeared to be very true. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, uh, our soldiers uh, came back. I just say soldiers because that's what, and we, we like to call them the troops, um, came back being called shell-shocked. And it was, it, was a, it was something to be ashamed of. Uh, it was kept hidden like, uh, you know, you don't air your dirty laundry in public kind of thing. And so these men never got... Uh, the veterans from World War II never got any recognition. They got recognition as, hey, you saved the day, you're wonderful. But this underlying energy of war, you know, war is hell, they say. And that's an easy, an easy flippant thing to say. And, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to offend a lot of people, but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like I want to belt the next person that says, thank you for your service. Because those are such empty Empty words, they mean nothing. I talked to a veteran uh, just recently and I said that to him uh, uh, because he's wanting to set up this program for veterans. I said, I can have empathy for you. I cannot understand everything that you've been through and what you've been dealt. And when people say, thank you for your service, it's dismissive. It says, you went off and did something, yay, yay, good, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't recognize who you are as a human being. And this man completely, totally agreed with me. Um, I talk to veterans a lot. And they feel like they uh, are, it's, it's like a, an, an abusive, a domestic violence situation. We have isolated, like, they're like 1% of our population. We've isolated them. They, they don't belong with the rest of us. They're only there to go and do this to make to to make situations better for large corporations to make money. We have troops in 179 countries on the planet right now. Do we really need to be there? You know, this this empire building, this uh, controlling everything in the world and dismissing the people. Oh, they're making us safe. Gary, Suzanne, you guys know we are less safe now than we were before we invaded Iraq. There is a strong argument to be made for that alone, but more generally speaking, Susan, I very much resonate with something you said, it, the word or the phrase empire building. Mm -hmm. yep. It's hard to look at the United States of America from outside our country for people yes. who were not born here, who were not American citizens, they're from distant shores they can look at America and justifiably, if you look at the phenomena that characterize an empire, it's very hard for me today. And it was also happening well before Donald Trump took the oath of office, let's be honest. Oh, but yes. If people in other countries look upon us as an empire, I really don't have an argument 
against that. I can yeah. empathize with them. I don't like the sound of it, but I can see where people would look at the United States of America as the American empire. And I've got a story, too, to insert in here. Uh, my sister and I went to Spain in 1973, and we were we were gifted with graduation um, vacations. And we were with a group of about 40 Americans. And we were, of course, were very young compared to everybody else who was very middle-aged. And one time she and I were sitting out at the pool and here come half a dozen people from our group. And we hear those around us, the locals around us, looking up at this group of Americans walking down to the pool with their towels. And we hear fat American capitalists. Mm -hmm. And and my my sister the and ugly I, American the ugly American and we had to blink several times and felt oh my God you know we're not universally loved and this was in 1973 mm -hmm. so you know it's very interesting that you can sit here and say we're so wonderful we're so great other people we're in not. other countries are not saying that you know and 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 honestly Suzanne. The reason that I stand up and say the things I do is because I do love my country. And shame is not a good thing. But when I see things, be, you know, there was an organization that I belong to, belong to called Not In My Name. Don't tell me you're doing this for me. You're not doing this for me. This is not who I want my country to be. Because let's face it, the United States of America is schizophrenic. I mean, <laughs> we talked about that last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, very we much so, so. Beautiful. We are the shining light on the hill. Well, it's yes. dipping tremendously, but um, we're also a lot of other things. And until you know, I remember when the little children said, "Well, why do they hate us? Why would they bomb us after 9/11?" Uh, and nobody ever answered these children. Nobody yeah. ever gave them an answer face up to what we've done that's wrong. That's the first step. AA, I am an alcoholic. Do you know what I mean? The first step is acknowledgement. And right. we do not acknowledge what we've done wrong. We just want to bulldoze on over everything. And, and I want to clearly say the media that says, you know, like it's half and half, it's not half and half. Trump supporters are a tiny minority in this country. Right. They have such a loud voice and the nastiness and the meanness. I mean, I just watched uh, 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 Trump in, uh, I couldn't believe they were in Florida. Yeah, because it was in the panhandle in Florida where he had all this. And this is, we can't shoot them when, the, when they're invading our country, immigrants. People that are seeking asylum, which is legal under international law and legal under our law, and you can't keep them out of the United States when they're seeking asylum according to the law what our own laws state. So someone from the audience hollers, shoot him. And he starts laughing and the audience starts laughing. This is not a laughing matter. This is like what, two days after a school shooting in Colorado. Oh, yes. you know, it's a solution to everything. Yeah. Susan, last night I heard that um, there is one school shooting. There's, there's, there's gunfire in schools once every 12 days on average. And my jaw just dropped. Mm -hmm. And we have 21 uh, veterans committing suicide every day. We have, um, you know, we have things we need to face up to. We need to take a yeah. look at, you know, the gun manufacturers can make a gun that a child's uh, finger can't hold the gun and pull the trigger at the same time. You can make a gun that is key just to the person it's registered to. It won't work in somebody else's hands. There's a lot of things that we can do to change some of the ways we handle guns. I am not anti-gun, but Second Amendment people, hello, Second Amendment was the right to form a militia. We were never meant to have a standing army, even though my father was regular army. You know, it started changing. By, by mid-20th century, a lot of things change. And when you have a population now that is predominantly born after Ronald Reagan was president, everything changed. People, that's one good thing about being older, is you can remember stuff like, wait a minute, we didn't do that. 
Um, a lot of things are a matter of attitude. You know, we talk, I, I hear people that are my age still whining about their parents. Like, you know what? Let it go. I don't forgive my father for the violent things that he did to me. I thank him for them because they helped make me who I am today. That's a very, very healthy attitude there. I'm sorry. That's self-healing going on there. Uh, Suzanne, I wanted to go back to something you said just a moment ago, and I've learned to just stop arguing with these people. I, I vote my conscience. I am, uh, I'm a believer in the Second Amendment. That doesn't make me a believer in the, in the uh, National Rifle Association by any stretch. What I have found with maddening certainty is that if the subject of the Second Amendment comes up, I can count on my adversary in a spontaneous, impromptu debate telling me the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. It is an amendment to the Constitution, the Second Amendment, and it is unequivocal. And I always say the same thing to them. You don't quote it correctly. <laughs> you, what you are quoting is a dependent clause, because right. the first part of that that you folks never want to talk about is that in the Bill of Rights, that Second Amendment begins in order to maintain Thanks. a well-regulated militia. militia. That's very different from having the streets and the homes and public places and schools and shopping malls attacked by people with high-powered weaponry beyond the dreams of the founders that wouldn't have even been technologically within the realm of possibility in their mentality so that you wipe out their uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, you can kill 50 people in minutes. In those, Look clip, at Las Vegas. those clips, yeah. Right, in Las Vegas. And, mm -hmm. and now, just to put it in context, Columbine, which horrified and sickened a nation, the tragic tragedy, the atrocity, the devastation of Columbine no longer ranks in the top 10 mass shootings in American yeah. history. That's <laughs> how Think far we it. have gotten. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. Second Amendment. So yeah, I but you're absolutely stand. right. When you don't quote it correctly, when you don't when you don't read things, uh, I have a, a person I care a great deal about uh, who who said something to me. Uh, Obama stands with the Muslims. I'm like, really? Uh, where are you getting that? And he goes, Well, it's in it's in his own book. I said, Well, have you read the book? He said, uh, No. I said, He says, Well, have you? I said, No. But I'll tell you what. Let's do. Let's get a copy of the book and we'll sit down. We'll read it together. <laughs> okay. So after he left, I went on Snopes, called me silly, but I like to check things out. <laughs> Let me see where this came from. Well, what Obama said in his book was, we need to watch how we treat immigrants, like from Syria or Afghanistan. Look what we did to the Japanese. And this man's daughter is half Japanese. His ex-wife is Japanese, right? <laughs> so I said... Well, this is the quote. This is actually the quote from the book, the, the, what, what was actually said in the book. And, and I emailed this to him. And his response to me was, you brat. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a winning argument. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. And, and just like my neighbors across the street, delightful people, really wonderful people, Trump supporters, wonderful people. He's going on, ca carrying on about how much his health care costs and blah, blah, blah. And that's because they're on, they're on government health care. I said, no, you're not. He says, well, we're on Obamacare. And I said, it's still private insurance. Unless you're on Medicare, you are not on government health care. And, and I said, listen, you're on private. That was the compromise with the insurance companies. It's private insurance. He says, well, the veterans is, is, is government run and it's run terribly. He's not even a veteran. And I said, some vet, some VA hospitals are run really well. The one in Seattle is fantastic. Some, not so much. I said, that's an individual thing. And yes, I do agree. It needs correcting. Uh, there's nothing that, you know, if something's wrong, let's fix it. But don't use that as a reason. I said, I said well, you voted for private insurance. I didn't. You know, But he believes, because it's called Obamacare, that he has government insurance. Yes. Well, and, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there, Susan, and, and you, you hear it from people all the time. 
where they're misquoting or misunderstanding what it is that has been said. And so once again, it comes down to communication, doesn't it? It does. I did a show uh, uh, on International Women's Day. Uh, how many people have heard of Victoria Woodhull, Woodhull right? One of my heroes. Um, and it was also Daylight Savings. And while I was doing my research, I found this thing on misinformation, which I'm sure you guys are right with me on this. Misinformation is the, one of the biggest problems we have today. So they did a study. They uh, found that they took this study that someone had done, and it has all these sources under it. And they gave it to a college professor who looked at the sources. And he says, oh, well, then this study is accurate. He did investigate the sources. He just looked and saw that it was sourced. When they handed it to a group of fact finders, they immediately checked the sources and found that all the sources were tied to the company that had the story done. I had the study done, I mean. You see. Mm -hmm. So the fact finders instantly found where things were misinformation. And so I brought that on the air that day, too, because I felt that what's the single most important thing I can do for people is to help them figure out how to distinguish information from misinformation. I think with that, it's perfect. Bottom of the hour, let's take a short break. We are discussing the state of the Harmon today with our guest Susan Harmon of KKNW's Susan Harmon Experience, which is coming up two hours after we're done. So you'll want to stay tuned, of course, because this is the place in town for enlightened discussion. Alternative Talk found its home in Seattle at AM 1150. And we'll return to that discussion with Susan Harmon in just a couple of minutes. Thank you for joining us. Please stand by. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. or streaming live from your computer anywhere. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We bring a unique talk radio blend your way every Friday and Saturday on 1150 KKNW. From pop culture to the paranormal, you get variety in a conversational style. Whether it's UFOs or ESP, angels or the afterlife, Bigfoot or your big dreams, everything is fair game on our show. Join the A-Team of Alternative Talk Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on the station that leads the pack without following the herd. Alternative Talk 1150 AM. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Shakedown Mitchell. Street. Yeah. Welcome back to Shakedown Street Shake with Down Susan Harmon. Yes. <laughs> Susan, we want to make sure. And you know, every week we, we talk about uh, join Susan Harmon and the Susan Harmon experience right after Christine Up Church. But uh, in addition to your show that's on KKNW, uh, what is your website, and how can people connect with you through social media or or any other way? 
Well, uh, it's real easy. It's Susan at SusanHarmon.com. So my website website is SusanHarmon.com. And, uh, you know, I'm easy to find. Uh, I'm on Skype. I am Susan Harmon. Um, easy, easy to reach me, easy to find me. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I like that. I don't know. I think that domain is taken. SusanHarmon.com. You can reach her that way. And the kinds of things that you do with people who contact you, uh, intuitive messages and healing work and mm -hmm. all that good stuff. Somebody asked my daughter, uh, my daughter Rachel is a dental hygienist in the office she was working in downtown South. What exactly does your mom do? And she goes, it's really hard for me to narrow down what my mom does. She says, she does whatever you need. And <laughs> so, you know. You've worked with uh, a lot of rocks and gemstones, I know, because you, yes. you, you had a big fire sale when you left Seattle. To, no fire, but to sale. move to uh, <laughs> Surprise, Arizona. And so, you know, here we were, we met in Seattle. And then uh, all these years later, we're triangulating with the station in Seattle. But you're in Arizona, we're in Florida. So this is a yeah, big nationwide kind of, thing. It's kind of interesting. We're going up the northwest, we're going the southwest, and we're going to the, the uh, southeast. You know, it is a triangle. And it works sometimes. That's Most great. We have our technical glitches, <laughs> have but our glitches, by and large, for general purposes, it works. I use Shakedown Street as our bumper music coming back in from the break, Susan, because, uh -huh. first of all, it's you, and you still have sensibilities from San Francisco in the uh, peace and love days. I missed it by a year. I wasn't there for the summer of love. I was there for the summer of grief and shock and activism in 1968. My parents took me up there and I remember going by a gas station where there was a Bobby Kennedy for president poster mm. still hanging in the window a few weeks after his assassination. And the haunting feeling I had it seems so odd, so strange, in fact. And we went to San Francisco, and I got to experience what that ferment was like. But it was already, at that point, past the heyday of the hippies. So I talked to someone like you, and I wonder, where do you think all of that energy has gone or is going to today? Well, and honest, I know this sounds crazy. If you just look at the news and you look at the, the crazy things that people are saying and, and the attacks on these wonderful younger people that just got elected to Congress in 2016 and the harsh attacks on them for standing up and being actual, authentic, caring, good people. Um I think it's going somewhere really good. I'm not I'm not going to get stuck in this. Oh my god, it is because the truth is there is this thing that is happening. Our constitution is being uh tattered and people are not standing up for what's right. They're more interested in lining their pockets. Like money is not as real as your honor. It's just simply not. One must be an honorable person. I disagree with John McCain on almost everything, but I never th felt he was dishonorable. Right. Uh, same way with Barry Goldwater. I did not agree with Barry Goldwater, but Barry Goldwater was an honest, honorable person. And we had honest, on honorable differences. That and he would gone. speak his mind. You didn't have to wonder what Barry Goldwater was thinking right. when he talked to you. He would tell you straight up. So when they call the Clintons progressives, when they were Barry Goldwater conservatives, that shows you how far we've come in a, to the right, how, how far we've moved in that direction. Uh, and younger people don't get that. I watched a little thing on YouTube with uh, AOC the other day with a, a public forum, and a man got up and was going to show how wrong she was, right? Uh, and she's letting him talk and letting him speak and, you know, saying. And his point, and I, and, and I really had a hard time wrapping my head around it, but I get where he's coming from. He says, we have the basic right to hate people. We have the right in this country to hate people. <laughs> oh, my God. And I thought, well, he's, he's correct. Yeah. But it's a strange place to come from. Having Why the right is that doesn't... your go-to position? Well, that's Why it. Is Having it... the right doesn't make it right. Exactly. I have the right to hate you. 
Well, you have the right to your feelings, but why would you want to hate everybody? What, what motivates you to operate from that particular position? And I I just thought it touched something. I still haven't been able to quite get where I need to go with that, but it sparked something in me. Okay, now I'm starting to understand, not fully, but starting to understand what motivates people. If everything you do is based in fear, Hate is a natural result of fear. That's a defense position. Somebody has to be to blame. If my life is not going well, well, it can't possibly be my fault. So it's got to be these immigrants, right? It's got to be women. It's got to be those darn liberals, you know. Um, and I always say liberals liberate nothing and conservatives conserve nothing. But yeah. Yes, when you talk about conservatives, have you noticed our budget? lately yes, national debt. since yeah. Donald Trump became president. Yes, conservative. Tell me well, about that. Well, that debt started under George W. Bush. And, you know, it's like, you know, George Bush is like, oh, don't look so bad now, do I? Well, in some ways, you're right. But it's been a steady decline. Um, we really, we've done nothing to protect our, our states from the way votes are counted. We can bypass the... Um, What's that? The Electoral College. We don't have to do that. There's states that are signing up to say whatever the popular vote is because the president of the United States doesn't represent one district, doesn't represent a state. The president represents the entire population of the country. So that decision on, on voting for that particular office needs to have that understanding of it, that he represents all of it, so that the popular vote is the vote. For the president. Yeah, in principle, I totally agree with you. I would add this you're not going to get rid of the Electoral College by means of a constitutional amendment. First of don't all, it takes. To, you don't need it. You don't that's need correct. A it takes too long amendment. to begin with. Right. That's, that's why there's the this. To agree. That's right. That's why there's this agreement between states of right. whatever that all the, the votes will go to whoever won the popular vote in their state. That's period. Right compact among states right so you do it through state legislatures exactly. Maybe the governor needs to sign off on it i'm not sure about that point i assume that's true but it is a compact which renders the electoral college a ratification mechanism exactly. rather than the deciding count among electors who are perfectly free not that many of them do do this but you can even have faithless electors who are only fined a thousand dollars if they refuse right. to go along with the popular vote in their state. That That's all antiquated. That needs to go away so that we understand that every vote counts in this country. Well, and it hasn't. I mean, when you have, when you have the Secretary of State of Georgia who has purged the voter rolls of you know, 300,000 people, I guess who mostly African-Americans, right? <laughs> you know? So that he has rigged the election to win and become the governor. Right. I mean, and it's so blatant, so in-your-face corrupt, but you have people that won't stand up and do anything about these things, and every one of those things that undermines our government and who we are, uh, other countries are interested in manipulating our elections now, too, not just the Russians. There's other countries, and they're very easy to do. Those uh, Diebold is no longer called Diebold. It's got another name, and it's out of Canada. And uh, they can make an ATM machine that tells you the time of day you put the money in, what your balance is, what you took out, blah, blah, blah. But they can't give you a, a receipt and a voting machine? Or in they some cases, an accurate count. And that, listen well, to the critics, like 2004 in Ohio, that was subject to a lot of controversy. Okay, well, you, you guys know who Bev Harris is, right? No. Well, I've, I've had her on my show a couple of times. Check out Black Box Voting. I had her on the show before the uh, California primary. She had just done this thing on fractionalized voting. So say you're in Memphis, Tennessee, where you have very distinct white and black precincts. She can change the results of an election in four seconds with the computer. She said, what happens is what you do is you go in and you wait the guy in the white precinct at one and a half or one and three quarters, and you wait the guy in the black precinct at half a vote or a third of a vote or whatever, right? So the, it shows that John and Jerry both voted, but John's vote was 
was weighted more heavily than Jerry's vote. And do you think anybody's talking about this? How can they weight the votes? I don't understand. Why is not Wait. one equals one? Why doesn't you, that happen? Because it's a computer and you can go in and you can hack. The way hacking works, the way you can do this, you can rig these things and they're easy to rig. Mm. That's how it's very easy. It's 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 like, a, OK, so we want we want everything in this precinct to be weighted this way. And we want things in this precinct to be weighted that way. I'm just saying, check out Bev Harris. She's brilliant. Well, this is it. And it's the degree of sophistication, mm -hmm. because if, for example, a 400 pound Chinese guy in his bed with a laptop can uh, alter the res not so much the results, but the campaign itself can hack into the campaign and change the electoral landscape of an American presidential election. That just tells me that if you're a smart enough hack hacker, you can do endless damage. And these people, some of them work as lone wolves, but some of this is highly organized stuff among highly organized, hostile to the interests of the United States. But then when you look at you combine that with gerrymandering, you combine that with suppressing the vote, you combine all of these things, we don't have free and clean and clear elections in the United States. If what has been happening in the United States since 2000, happened in any other country, we would have sent troops in. Our elections are not honest. They're not. And if you believe they are, you're not doing the research. Like I said, check out Black Box Voting. There's a whole lot of information out there. It's just that no one in mainstream media checks it. I'm not saying that it's fake news, that CNN has fake news. I'm saying that they weight what they tell you about by who pays them for advertising. You don't hear anything against the petroleum companies. You don't hear anything against the pharmaceutical companies. Why do we need two CEOs of pharmaceutical companies on Homeland Security Board? I mean, you know, look at the marriage of corporations and government. Yes. And what we see is a trend where Donald Trump is appointing or seeking to have confirmed cabinet members who are appointed to positions when it is known that they seek to either radically alter or even eliminate the departments over which they are the cabinet secretary. And guess what? You've got a Senate that goes ahead, goes along with it. See, I don't hold Trump as responsible as I hold members of Congress who allow these things to happen. Because they're getting the money for, listen, I was a big Patty Murray supporter, but when Bernie Sanders introduced the bill to bring pharmaceuticals from Canada, the same ones that we use here, but they cost a third of, of what we're paying, she was one of the people that voted against it. When they went after Cory Booker because he took money from the pharmaceutical companies, Patty took more money than anybody else, $500 million. And I called her office. See, that's that's I don't just point this stuff out. I actually I, I called her office. I said, what is wrong with Patty? Why is she taking money from the pharmaceutical companies and then voting in a way that benefits them? Why, indeed. Well, I'm going to tee this one. Let me tee this one up for Suzanne Mitchell, because she is the one who pointed it out to me. Aha, see what's going on. We were watching an ad. I, I don't know that it's nationwide. I doubt it would be because they were uh, targeting Tallahassee. So this is Florida politics. But it's illustrative of what you're talking about, Susan. What did you notice in terms of drugs, those dangerous imported drugs, tell your state representative <laughs> to vote against them. And it's big now in Florida where they want to make sure that big pharma gets the lion's share. At least that's how that's I right. see it. How about you, Suzanne? The, the ad that they were advocating to be against this bill was we're, we're getting dangerous drugs from other countries like China where we don't know what's in them. And, and I just took a look at Gary and I said, well, that sounds like an ad by Big Pharma trying to throw fear into us. And they're even adding, don't risk your life. Right, don't risk your Mi life on misinformation. this. And I, misinformation, misinformation. And I said, what about getting American pharmaceuticals through Canada who pays less than we do? That's Much right. less. For the same drugs, made exactly. in the same plant. Made in the same plant, exactly. You know, it's an interesting thing, and uh, and this is old, old news. I don't know if you ever heard of Secanol and Nimbutal. I don't even know if they make them anymore. But those were the downers of the day, okay? 
Back then, and this is in the 1960s, the, the companies that made those drugs manufactured almost twice as many of them than they could sell on the legitimate market. Why would they do that? To sell them out of the country or to sell them on the black market? Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, because they have another market for them. They had the black market. You know how long ago that was? And this is 2019. You know, add 19 and four and 40, you've got almost uh, 60 years that we've right. been doing this kind of thing. Yes, yes. And so, we're talking about a society in which until fairly recently in our history, and it may be in that 50 to 60 year range, the insurance companies, health insurance companies weren't allowed to profit. The idea was to mm -hmm. meet the need of the patients, meet the need of the public, and thereby perform a public service to Americans. And now, well, all that's gone by the boards, hasn't it? Yes. Well, look at Dr. Salk, polio vaccine. He said, I make a nice living. I don't need to own this. This is for the people. Oh, my God. You know, I... That I, would be astounding today. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you were going to say, Suzanne. I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> But the, the idea that a Jonas Salk, that's why he's looked at as a I virtual... I started thinking about Jonas Salk, and then I forgot what I wanted to say. <laughs> he's looked at as a virtual saint, fair enough. But today, there are people, brilliant people, who will not enter the field with a chemical compound they've worked out in their heads that they believe would satisfy the, the trial process that we insist upon, thank goodness, to make it as safe as possible. They may have that drug in mind, they may know the formula, but they're not going to go to the trouble of seeing it from their desk to the marketplace if there isn't sufficient profit, because the profit is the incentive. Yeah, they don't they don't find, look for cures. They they just want to develop treatments because they don't want to cure you of anything. They just want to treat you. There's a doctor that my daughter is uh, really interested in who developed a vaccine for heroin addicts, and it works. And they won't let it come to market. So, and who is who is able to suppress this? Well, the pharmaceutical companies. So you're talking about here. Here it comes, and we haven't used the ugly word yet. But here come the lobbies, the lobbyists. Mm -hmm. Well, they have a lot of power. Maybe even over Patty Murray, though. I will readily admit I haven't looked into that specific situation. Well, it I'm was not accusing the lady. It was shocking to me because I called her office and I said, you know, maybe this is coincidental. I just don't think so because it really bothered me because I was a big Patty Murray supporter. Okay. Yes. But you've got to look. You got to follow the facts where they take you. I mean, you you can't just say, well, I really like this person. But why would you? Why are you taking this money and voting against something that benefits the the citizens of the state of Washington? Uh, in an interview years ago, the now late Senator Fritz Hollings from South Carolina, I believe it was, he said that one of the things that caused him to decide to just get out of politics, to retire from the Senate, one of the factors was that you spend so much time raising money. Crazy. Not deliberating, not legislating, mm -hmm. but raising money, orchestrating fundraising to keep yourself in office. And he got to the point where he was not willing to do it anymore. Well, if they all did that, we would uh, start having our government back, a government of, by, and for the people. And I honestly, Gary, I want to make sure that people, I'm not just a complainer, as you know. I believe in action, but I also believe in our constitution and what we have. And I think we could find ourselves again. I really do. I mean, I have a lot of hope. I look at these young people. I look at AOC, the way she, she treats people that disagree with her. I, you know, there's so much positive energy that's happening. The, the millennials, the way they're voting, it's very positive. And it really does lighten my spirit. I don't believe, I believe, yes, you have the right to hate, but my, but I follow that up with, but why would you? Why would that be your go-to position? So that is something we, we have to look at. How do we eliminate people making their decisions based on fear? And that's where I'm kind of trying to work to shine a light. You can't, you can't fight the dark with the dark. You have to, you know, if you put a, a light in a dark closet, you find a splash of flashlight in there, 
the dark goes away. So it, it really behooves us to, to come from the light and to treat each other in that way, in a light and loving and caring way. When it comes to the 2020 election, and we're wrapping up, we're under three minutes here, but we're enjoying this State of the Harmon broadcast, and it's the first <laughs> so designated, but there will be others, I assure you. Suzanne, I wanted to make sure we included you in this, and we need to be quick, I realize. Do either of you ladies believe that the 2020 election is going to be skewed toward a debate or a discussion about whether or not America is gradually, in a creeping way, becoming a socialist country? I don't think that's the question. I think, uh, can we keep it from being skewed as a fascist country? Now, he's talking about the conversation. Like, will the conversation be, let's not go socialist, and will that be such a heavy conversation that it will, it will, it will influence people's votes? There are people in the Democratic Party elected to office, AOC being chief among them, or prominent now, who say, I am a democratic socialist. I believe in right. democratic socialism. And Nancy right. Pelosi says... America is a capitalist country. That's a fact. But Donald well, Trump would love to say, we're not a socialist. He said it in, in Congress, joint session. He said, America will always be a capitalist country. We will never be a socialist country. You know, I think that people can try to frame something some way, but if you stand firm, I'm just telling you, the millennials aren't going to buy that argument. I hope not. I hope but not. But it's, get, it's getting them to the polls, and, and um, this last election, they went to the polls. It's easy enough to rig things if it's a very narrow margin. It's not as easy to rig them if it's a broad margin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. And I think that the debate that may be stated in a public forum may not be the same debate that's happening in a private forum. When, when people say I'm a centrist, but I don't believe in Medicare for all, but I don't believe in college for all, but 85% of the population does believe that, you're not a centrist. You're not a centrist. We're looking at this situation with 2020 close. It'll be here before you know it. I think uh, coming up next month, you're going to have the first debate. I don't know how they're going to fit them all in the room, but they're going to have the first debate among all of the Democratic contenders. It's going to be interesting to see who breaks out from the pack and in what way. Joe Biden has the, no the name recognition, and uh, he's somebody who has something to say from the past, how will he address the future? And he's got about 29 other people who wanna have their say as well. We will be keeping track, and one way we'll do it is by having State of the Harmon conversation Susan Harmon, thank you so much for joining us today. We're grateful to converse with you anytime. Thank you, guys. All right. And stay tuned to AM 1150 for the Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Show, followed by American Roads Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. I hope this is the start of a great weekend for all of you. And stay tuned indeed to AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.